Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you feeling today? I am under the weather, which I know will be shocking and astonishing to our listeners. Uh, I get sick all the time, as listeners of the Televerse know. Just as I was feeling so proud of myself for not, like, I, I've known several people in, in my uh, friends and family circle who have been sick in the past, like, two months, and I haven't been. I was just starting to get, like, cocky about it. Then I was up till way too late reviewing the path <laughs> and just, like... Yeah, Sean Ford had got me. So, um Pride cometh before the fall. Absolutely. But I'm I've just been sleeping and binging and catching up on shows the last couple uh-huh. of days uh, cuz spring break is very helpful for that. Um Sure. So so I I think by the time this is out there, hopefully I will actually be fully recovered. How how about you, Noel? Um I've been like really busy. I've had a house guest since um when did you get here? Oh, he, he he walked away, actually. <laughs> is that friend of the show, Corey Barker? It is friend of the show, Corey Barker. He's been here since uh, Tuesday. Tuesday? Tuesday. I think Tuesday. Wednesday. Wednesday. He's been here since Wednesday night, yeah. And that has allowed, we should mention up here at the top, for you to do a live, I'm guessing live, guest yes. spot? Yeah, um, I mean, we managed to um, have me on uh, TV.com's Totally Tubular podcast uh, for the first time in a while because of when they typically record. So we recorded in sitting on my floor because I don't have a coffee table. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I was on there. We talked about a number of totally tubular, mostly does new shows. So uh, premieres and that sort of thing. So we talked a bunch about the premieres that happened this week. And yeah, so no, it was a lot of fun. It was much longer than they usually run because as listeners are aware, I also talk a lot. <laughs> you talk, I talk. <laughs> so it was a, it was a long podcast for them, but it was really really good. We had a really nice conversation. You can find that over at uh, tv.com right now. Yeah. We we have a lot of shows that we're covering this week, but we're going to try because right. you have a house guest and I'm still sick to keep it shorter. We'll see how that goes. Uh, at the end of the podcast this week, we're talking with Kelly Lawler of USA Today and from the Mothership podcast about happy endings, which we were we were split on. Is this the first show that we've been actively split on this year? Uh, yes, at least since I started, for sure, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. it's it's we had a fun we had a fun conversation, a wide ranging conversation very yeah which felt appropriate to the show quite frankly as i think kelly mentioned it was pretty going off on tangents yeah 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 <laughs> so we'll be uh getting to that at the end of the podcast as i said um uh, but now let's uh take a break listen to some crazy ex-girlfriend so glad to have some more crazy ex-girlfriend music to listen to uh and come back with our week in comedy I got them heavy boobs, heavy boobs, dance like dying stars. I got them heavy boobs, heavy boobs. I can't run real far. Let me break down what I just said. Each of my double D's has the volume of a toddler's head. Now bitching about my boobies, they look super fly in shirts. But if I swung them in your face, you'd be like, oh my God, that hurts. I'm blind, holy crap, I literally can't see. I have permanent retinal damage. I'm suing you and your heavy boobies. Heavy boobs, heavy boobs, dance like dying stars. I got them heavy boobs, heavy boobs. They each have their own memoirs. 
Comedy. Noel's going to talk a bit about the ranch pilot back where I come from. Uh, then I'm going to talk a little bit about, about Broad City, B&B NYC. We'll both talk some Brooklyn Nine-Nine paranoia and Jane the Virgin Chapter 38. And we'll round things out with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Josh's sister's getting married! Uh, but first up is The Ranch, which I forgot was a thing. Like, I've just, all these Netflix shows, if it's not a show I actively care about, I just, like, I still have that pilot of love, like, 30 seconds started, but I haven't gone back to it yet. Uh, how is The Ranch compare with these other Netflix uh, shows that have been, you know, dropping every other week, it feels like, this year? Right. Um, the Ranch is, um, and you probably, like, we discussed this on Totally Tubular. Uh, we all kind of, like you, forgot that The Ranch was a thing that was about to happen. Um, but for those who really, or this is your first time hearing about it, uh, The Ranch stars Ashton Kutcher, uh, Danny Masterson, both of that 70s show, and then Sam Elliott and Sam Elliott's mustache, and <laughs> uh, Deborah Winger. And basically what it is is Ashton Kutcher comes back to his family's ranch in um, Colorado after not really quite making it in the pro football uh, area of working. That was a really awkward sentence. <laughs> Fix that in editing. And uh, so he comes back, and here's the thing about all of this, is that it's a multi-cam sitcom with a live studio audience. Yes, Kate is making a very confused face right I'm now. I'm making a skeptical face. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a very interesting and weird show. Um, it's from Dan Rio, who worked on uh, things like Blossom and MASH and a couple of other shows, uh, Golden Girls as well. And it's a show that isn't particularly funny because it's done in a very set-up, set-up, punchline sort of way. And some of their jokes are good. But it's a better show when it's not trying to be funny. When it's dealing with, like, the interpersonal relationships, especially between Kuchar's character and Elliot's character, there's a real, lot of really good dramatic material that the show is exploring about family and disappointment and how that ties into class issues because they run a ranch that's having problems because there's no rain. And so it's a really interesting family drama done in a multicam sitcom. And it's just kind of weird and awkward. Like the version of this show that Sam Elliott is on is really interesting. The version that everyone else is on, not so much. But at the <laughs> same time, I'm actually, unlike with Love, where I finished the first episode and went, I don't need to watch this again. I want to see more of The Ranch, just to see how it develops and what it does. And we should note, related to our Happy Endings DVD shelf, is that um, Cuthbert, Cuthbert um, on Happy Endings is on The Ranch as well. Hmm. Um, so, right. So, but yeah, it's a very weird thing um, and a very weird type of thing for Netflix to pick up. Um, to me, if Netflix were a more traditional programmer, they'd pair it with Grace and Frankie. Mm -hmm. in like a flow type of way but yeah um it's just very interesting though one last thing i will say is that this is not something despite being multicam this is not something to watch with your family because they say fuck and shit and all sorts of swear words in a multicam sitcom which was also really bizarre <laughs> when sam elliott says what the fuck are you doing here and i'm just like whoa sam <laughs> 
Think of the children. Yeah. Remember the format that you're in. Yeah. Um, but no, so it's an interesting little show um, that I'm actually going to watch more of. So yeah, that's that's The Ranch. Okay, then. Well, I was going to ask yeah. how it compared to the other multi sitcom we've watched from Netflix, but sounds like you like it a lot more than Fuller House. <laughs> I like it much more than Fuller House. But that, that's, that's super a, that's high bar. Really, yeah. <laughs> that is such a low bar. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Uh, well, I want, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I watched Broad City and caught up this week. I didn't, we, you talked about last week. I didn't, I hadn't seen it then. Uh, yeah. like you said, really, really enjoyed that episode last week. Yeah. This week we had B&B NYC and okay. it was delightful and a lot of fun. Uh, the, the opening sequence was a nice little kind of callback to an opening, an element from the opening of the season that was okay. entertaining. And the, uh, yeah, I, I I don't want to spoil anything for you because I know you haven't had a chance okay. to see it yet. But right. uh, but it has one of their best deployments of a cameo, uh, or I guess guest performer in, right. in quite a while. It's just hilarious what they have uh, this this athlete I'll say do. Okay. Um, just and, and he's incredibly game, and it's just so fun and ridiculous. And way to go, Broad City, and way to go sir for having um for just being so so up for it uh for being on the show and uh i also particularly loved the i think it's some of the last dialogue they gave him about the wnba but um i'm gonna leave that for you hopefully that's intriguing i Uh, i'm i'm very intrigued yeah um it was a lot of fun very glad to have caught up on broad city but let's move on swiftly to brooklyn 99 because uh, I was all ready to be super excited about Paranoia until it became clear, oh, it's time to write Jason Mansukis off the show. And I was actually kind of happy about that. Okay. Be- not because of him, but just because I've, ever since basically after his first episode, I've felt like Pimento has gotten progressively insaner in a way that doesn't make sense for how he was introduced to us. Mm-hmm. He just became really wacky and crazy in a way that also just didn't make sense to me and so i was kind of happy that pimento was leaving this week but i mean rosa married lady i was so good yes no like that almost made me feel bad about it really loved seeing her that way uh and just like the little like the way it tweaks her um yes but no i thought this was a fun a fun episode, and like you had mentioned to me previously uh, off mic, a, a bit of a shout out to Parks and Rec, which has done so many uh, sudden wedding or short notice weddings. Um, but uh, y- yeah, when when you have the is it the FBI is out for Pimento? Yes, that looks like it'll be a nice spine for the back part of the season. Yeah, do you think this is something they'll resolve by the end of the the season by the finale, or do you think it'll be something that they just kind of leave lingering in the background until they want to bring Mansukis back? Uh, no, I think it'll probably be something that they resolve this season. Um, okay. in no small part, just because I think because so much of this episode, Holt was, was barely in this episode until the tag, basically, uh, which was appropriate. It would have been weird if Holt was in either of the, um, plots this week. Um, but I think given that Holt's making this a priority for the team, really, I think that, that, that's the way of the show saying we're making this a priority. So I, I suspect, like you, that this will be a spine for the last few episodes of the season. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. And yes. do you think they can bring Pimento back after this as a like a regular character next season? Or would you rather he remain on the fringes, even if they like establish that he's there, but he's just working in a different department or a different precinct? 
I like the idea of him like working on the fringes. Um, actually, you know, to be honest, I like this idea of him just kind of popping up every couple of episodes, coming back from some just bizarre undercover mm-hmm. um, assignment, and he's just like in a weird costume or like just something weird is with him, and he just walks on and like signs some paperwork and then just leave it. I feel like that'd just be a really weird running gag, mm-hmm. a very old school type of running gag for the show to do, and I think that would actually be kind of funny. It would be very much like the Andrew Tribeca guy getting hurt each week. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that absolutely working. Um, last question. Who would have won the bride, uh, bridal party, bridesmaids party for you? Oh. Oh, for me personally. Yes. If that was, you um, know, your groom, your stag's night, who would who would have won? Um, No. So I would have done the paintball because shots scare the shit out of me. And... <laughs> I don't have the upper body strength to destroy anything with a sledgehammer. So I would have been like Amy throwing those plates against the wall like Frisbees. Uh-huh. But I don't get a lot of joy from like destroying things. So it w- it would have been the laser. T- it would have been the paintball game. Fair enough. 12 year olds. What about you? Oh, definitely the trivia. Definitely. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The like just I love the little bits we saw of that. And it, it was delightful. But uh What I loved about the trivia thing was that they were constantly getting questions wrong about details about her life, Mm -hmm. but they understand her well enough to craft three really fun events for her. And I think that was really significant, like, juxtaposition that they made there. Yeah. That they don't know these small details, like, that she hates soup, (laughs) Um, which is also true of my house guest. Um, (laughs) But it's also just they know enough to do those kind of things for her. And I think that's really significant for the show. Yeah, definitely. It was a fun episode of yeah. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Next up is uh, Jane the Virgin, chapter 38. And I, this episode, there was, uh, you know, several things that I enjoyed. First of all, the resolution. I, I feel very validated about my qualms over a certain Mr. Lothario. Um, but also I was very glad to see, uh, to have confirmed that Michael and, uh, and, and Raph are working together. I think that's such a smart move for the show. Um, uh, what stood out to yes. you this week, which like those for me were like, my two favorite things and very different, I guess. And also the stuff with the postpartum depression, like, so those three, right. all very different, <laughs> but yes. equally significant to me for the tone of the episode. What about you? Uh, no, it was all the Petra stuff. Just all of it like i mean rogelio trying to like get the wedding venue and this theme of compromise that was running through a lot of it but it was just all the petra stuff mm-hmm. that i was just like having all of the feels and i um tweeted at the woman who re- uh recaps it for vulture because i know her from uh my time in um, academia and i was just like oh i have all these petra feels where do i put them <laughs> because just like you said the postpartum postpartum stuff was really nicely played and then she bought their house for them Mm -hmm. for jane and michael so that they would like have a house that was near michael and just all this stuff so that their life could work out and then she's packing up to maybe leave her kids after her mom just tells her to that the best thing she can do is leave them and i'm just like "Mm hmm no, don't do this. You're becoming a nice person. And she stands up for Jane, too, is the other thing, in that really big yelling speech at, at Raphael. And I was just like, holy crap. This mm-hmm. is amazing for Petra. This is the Petra I think we've all kind of wanted. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And, like, done really consistently. 
And so, no, that that was like my big standout for this for uh, chapter thirty eight was just all of the Petra stuff. I like the talking parrot wallpaper a lot too. <gasps> so many wonderfuls like flashbacks, right? No, thank God you had the same thing because it was yeah. just like talking wallpaper, talking door knockers. Is and it Jesus was like it was a lion, and yes. it was a bird too. So yeah, yeah. right. Um, so no, I, I I really enjoyed a lot of this episode, even though it was also a lot of like getting things into place for the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was entertaining getting things into place for the finale. Um, what did you think about like Rogelio's uh, quick jaunt to Marie Antoinette and his advice? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty good. Once again, uh, Jane is keeping consistent by showing that the directors of episodes of shows within the show are, are all women, which is what yes. I keep enjoying as a recurring right. thing. Um, I thought that was fun, and you know, I really having you know had two of my siblings get married. Um, I've been around. I mean, also I started playing at weddings when I was like in middle school. So I've right. certainly by the time I was in high school, I was a professional wedding musician. Um, so I've been around a lot of weddings, a lot of weddings. Uh, but, but, you know, having two of my siblings get married, I've also, I've been involved very closely with the planning and the dynamics that can come about with it. And I really appreciate the perspective. And I have a feeling when my parents, cause my mom loves the show, but I think they're behind when they catch up with this episode, my mom will really appreciate the perspective given specifically by Zoe here about weddings. Cause it's easy to, to see shows fall into one of two camps. The, the family's trying to dictate everything about the wedding. Um, and they're terrible, um, or the, the, the kids are doing the wedding all by themselves and how great is that? It was nice to hear for this to be kind of in the middle where it's like, yes, it's about you, but it is also about your family. It is about also about these other people. It shouldn't just be, it's my day. So whatever I want goes. Um, and yeah. that I thought that the way that they addressed that and, and had Zoe speak to that worked really well. And it, it gave me maybe a little bit more perspective on, on, on that than I should, that I should have had earlier it's making me reflect back on some conversations that i have had at various points of various wedding planning procedures <laughs> um and so i thought that was a nice little thing too and and again the scale of them they this was a week where there was a lot happening it was all very disparate um not a lot of character overlap um at least yeah. all together but i thought it worked really well they had right. the right amount of time for each thing and the tones allowed them to jump back and forth really well yeah, and I think that's you make a really good point because I mean I've been hammering the show for this, especially in the most recent episodes, for feeling like one too many different shows because mm-hmm. everyone felt so segregated. But for whatever reason, this week, even though everyone was basically kind of doing their own thing again this week, it didn't feel as like partitioned. Yeah, which was nice. But it also could just be that I've come around on the fact, like you, I've just like decided not to care about Mooder. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, this is just dragging, guys. I need something to keep me going. I mean, something. And they're just giving me, oh, they're teamed up again. And I'm just like, oh, no, no, that wasn't it. Try again. <laughs> I'm just so glad that Michael and Raphael have a positive interaction. So theoretically, right. this should help them build a bridge and a bond that can counteract the negative associations of all the drama with Jane. So hopefully it can lead towards not having all of their interactions be these really frustrating at this point retreads of she picked you over me. Yeah, but she left me for you in the first place. And the, the, I'm glad that they're moving forward with, with that. Yes, me too. 
Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on. Speaking of moving forward, let's move forward to our next show. And weddings. And weddings. We have Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Josh's sister's getting married. And remember how Remember how last week I was talking about how I felt like the hit-to-miss ratio on the songs was down? I yes. really liked both of these songs this week. Well, that's good, because I only liked one of the songs this week. And which of those was it? Which which was the, the winner of the songs? Oh, it was it was uh, Heavy Boobs. <laughs> Just delightful. <laughs> Yes, no, it, it's, it's, I mean, she, she had been like, um, uh, Rachel Bloom had been, um, pumping this on Twitter a little bit and basically said, this is probably the most autobiographical thing I've ever written. <laughs> and, um, so I was really excited, but it's also just a really great song. And I had actually like seen the promotional pictures for this before I'd seen the episode. So I was just like, why does she have the picture of a baby over her boob and is like <laughs> in a classroom? And I was just like, what the hell musical number are we about to get? And then it was fantastic and really compelling and really fun. And like all of their really best songs, especially the dream sequence songs, um, it's so distinct and point of view focused Mm -hmm. that it immediately just works and feels so well thought out. And so I was very much into it. And I saw a number of folks tweeting uh, during the episode that I was just like, yes, this, um, for women who have similar issues and similar, uh, body types, they're just like, yes, this is exactly what it is. And then it was just like, I feel so bad for those women because now their chests really hurt because of all the dancing that they just did. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, so, and that's, that's, that was the big thing. It was just like, this really resonated with a lot of people. And I always like to see that, especially with a show that I really enjoy. I like seeing that kind of stuff resonate. And that was a really big thing. Yeah. Uh, so, but you like both of the songs. So please try to convince me that I could, if I wanted to, while is a really good sentiment for Greg is still just a, and a nice technical achievement because they did it in one take, mm-hmm. but I just found the song just really boring. <laughs> oh, see, I, I really liked it. And, and I think part of it is just that resonance. It resonated with me so strongly mm-hmm. of that's a thing that I can, that's a habit I can see myself falling into at various points being like, well, but you know, if I had spent the energy to like take care of the work that, you know, I should have done already, I would have, you know, that kind of thing. I'd be fine. Uh, I'm, I'm only stressed out about this because I didn't do the work I should have to prep for it, but if I had done the work to prep for it, this would be easy. Like, it's so easy to fall into that mindset, I think, at least. Maybe it's sure. just my procrastinating ways. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think it fit. It's something that felt very honest yes. to me. It resonated with me specifically. But also, it just it feels so specific and, and um, it's so specific for Greg. This is a thing that he's been doing his entire life. And that is unhealthy and that is destructive. And that really fit to me with not just the, what the song was about, but the, 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 um, style of the song, like going for that. It's going for like a punk feel, right? I don't really know pop music. Yeah. Maybe a punk grunge. We're, grunge, we're grunge is the right. worst person to ask, yeah. which may be the reason why I just didn't respond to the song, even though, yeah, it kind of fits that kind of slacker rebel type of mentality. I was just like, that type of music's never really appealed to me. And maybe it's also, I don't feel like his voice worked as well for that. Oh, see, I thought it worked really well. Yeah. Okay. Cause you could, you yeah. could hear him going into and out of the different inflections and when he was yeah. thrown in the vibrato and when he was leaving it there. And I also, for me again, it was that grunge feel, which to me, I always, of course you associate with the nineties, this notion that he's it's like, dude, you're like 
20 years too old for this or at least 15 you know yes. to be doing this um you should have grown out grown out of this by now um right and and, and in these episodes that this episode very much is about and you have rebecca really actively discussing her identifying patterns and trying to break cycles of behavior that are unhealthy and so i you know i thought that that the repetitious nature of the song also ties in with that. I mean, for me, it all kind of came together with that. So while is this a song I'm going to probably be humming to myself? No, but... But I'm you'll just... start singing it when you realize you procrastinated on something. But I could have <laughs> wanted to. Totally, totally. Um, so I, for me, I really enjoyed it. But I mean, I, I hear what you're what you're saying, but yeah. I don't know. It just it really spoke to me. I would love to hear from our listeners... Yes. What do you think? Are, are there been other songs this season that I've been unduly harsh on? You know, the song has been growing on me, Getting By, by the way. Because mm-hmm. I was sort of meh the week it came out. But, you know, with all of the various discussions around the 100 that have been happening, it's been popping up more for me. And I like yeah. it more every time I hear it. Um, so are there any songs like that that have grown on you over the course of... Uh, you weren't initially weren't as strong, but they've... Nothing immediately springs to mind, which I actually feel like is a good thing for me regarding mm-hmm. the show. It's just like... I've been generally pretty happy with it. I think the big hurdle will be whether or not by the season's end or by the time we get to the end of the year stuff, if I go, yeah, you know what? We were wrong about the Dream Ghost song, and I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah. who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows, though? Um, and the last thing I'll say with this one is I really enjoyed how it ended where there's like, no, it's not just that they're going to hook up. It's just that, like, they're just going to have a sex for an entire weekend. They're going, like, they're diving in hardcore yeah. But are they, though? Because, I mean, you have to remember that Settle, me, Settle For Me reprised as they were going into the back. I did my DVR cut off early? It may have, but yeah, Settle For Me, like, started to reprise a little bit. Oh, um, ne- I have to pull In that terms up. of melody, like, it, yeah. like, came back as they were heading for the back and she was taking off her shirt and everything. But yeah, it, like, kind of, like, came back up right before, right before they ended. Okay, well, yeah. that's that's intriguing, but yeah. I still but. think, but as opposed to them just like this being like, okay, well, let's they hook up and it's just they decide it was a one time thing. I like that right. they that they're going full bore with it and they're not just saying yes. to being tentative, I guess. Which that's yeah. which is the, good for both of them. Well, yeah, for the characters and also for the show, it's one of those things. Yeah. I don't think you could accuse Crazy Ex-Girlfriend of being tentative very frequently. No. Uh, but I do think it, it works for the show. Um, any final thoughts on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? And if not, what wins your week in comedy? Um, I'll give it to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this week, um, just for the sheer enjoyment. And also for some of the other stuff that we didn't discuss, like... Paula? Well, for Paula's stuff was really just great. But also just uh, Rebecca trying to make nice with Valencia and doing everything she could to make Valencia look good to Josh's family was just really great. And then it... Paula's behavior ended up making Valencia look even better because Rebecca just fell on that sword mm-hmm. and it was it was a big thing and I think this was just a really big emotional moment in a sh- in for, especially for the past couple of episodes where there just haven't been those things mm-hmm. uh, so what about you what won your week in comedy yeah craziest girlfriend uh, and, and if, if for the things we've already said also for her establishing boundaries with Josh and for her yes. pulling a cellophane wrapped lolly out of her boobs to give to Paula which was awesome yes <laughs> well that wraps up our weekend comedy now we'll take a break and we'll be back with our weekend genre 
What the freaking do an A? What's an A? It's just a letter on a page meant to distract us from the pain. But it's not like any A can make a difference in the day. Sure, I could get an A if I wanted to get an A, but who cares about an A? I don't. I don't care. Although I could have made that grade if I did care, but I don't. But I could if I wanted to. Whoop de frickin' do. Look at this guy in the red and blue striped tie. Making millions till he dies. Selling bonds and stocks to other guys in ties. Who have millions with which to buy a bunch of bonds and stocks and ties. I'd rather die, which I will eventually, of course. But in the meantime, I could make millions selling stocks and bonds and ties. If I tried. But I don't. But I could. But I don't. This week in genre, we're going to talk about Adventure Time, Broke His Crown. I'm going to talk briefly about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Watch Dogs, and The Hundred Stealing Fire. Uh, then we'll talk Le- Legends of Tomorrow, Left Behind, Arrow, Beacons of Hope. Briefly, yeah. Beacons of Hope. I can't. I mean, how, you have to. And then yeah. we'll round things out with Supergirl, World's Finest. Sans, ap- sans oh, appropriate God. apostrophe. It should, it's like, it's, listeners, you don't realize how much this is bothering. At least me. I, I assume also Noel, but definitely. Yeah, I just, no. I've got, there's like a little squiggle underneath it for grammar. And I'm like, I know, I know word document. There should be an apostrophe there. Anyways, um, let's start with Adventure Time. Broke his crown. I thought this was such a a fun episode and such a great return to the serialization. Uh, What did you think? Uh, No, totally agree. Um, I really had a nice time with this episode. Um, I liked Marceline forcing... uh, bubblegum to go and have dinner with the ice king Mm -hmm. as just like the setup for everything i really liked that idea a whole lot um because it's just like marceline like and bubblegum like doing friendship stuff Mm -hmm. and one of those things is that you sometimes have to hang out with your friends as friends that you don't really like Mm -hmm. and so that means seeing the ice king uh but at the same time like they got to go into the crown and we had basically like betty malware (laughs) Which was really fun and interesting, but we also got to see Simon again. Mm-hmm. And the original Gunther. Yeah, I was going to say, we got to see Gunther. And so, no, this was one of those really fun little episodes that the show does to remind us that, yes, we're, we haven't forgotten about some of this stuff, but at the same time, I really feel like Adventure Time's been on a really good run of just emotional enough episodes like not really big emotional episodes but still pretty profound emotional episodes that have really nice things to say and so i was really glad to see like simon have an opportunity to see betty again even if it's malware magic woman betty which is always troublesome Mm -hmm. because magic man is magic man's abilities are bad jubies yeah yeah definitely (laughs) Um, jubies so, but yeah, uh, how did you feel about uh, Broke His Crown? Like, what did you, like, pick out from this episode? I just thought it was such a fun way to bring back some of these characters. And having uh, Gunther be their, their guide, I thought, was, was such a neat way to do it. Um, and and just, the like you had said, the warmth that we get between Marceline and PB. I Like, since they have more actively made their relationship canon on the show as opposed to a, like, subtext thing it feels so much more concrete at this point that's allowed those characters to just be that little bit of extra warm 
with each yes. other and more more personable and more intimate with each other, just more familiar. And I think that's done, done a lot to really boost that dynamic. Even just the way, like calling her Bonnie and um, just their physical, well, animated, but you know what I mean, uh, right. closeness. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really have appreciated that. And it's very, for me at least, it's significantly different than how they used to approach those two characters even just a few seasons ago. So right. I really like that. Um, and to you just such a lovely surprise to bring back Simon and Betty because yes. you know you never know when you watch Adventure Time you never know what you're going to get and I love that no. they can have these just brief really sweet moments um just years in the making right no it was it was really really nice and I like the visual representation of the crown as like a maze which is I just so significant to represent how people get lost because of the crown and mm-hmm. so that was a really nice, like, visual representation of that, I thought. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And how you can get lost in your own mind and how you can get yes. lost, um, you know, uh, following some path that is, no oh, unintentional, shout out to another show, but following some path that you, you think is so clear and so um, helpful um, and you just can wind up turned around without even realizing it. Um, yeah, I think it was a really smart choice. I agree. And uh, one other, like, tangentially related thing to Adventure Time is that this week's Steven Universe got renewed for an extra two seasons. So exciting! And we're getting another Summer of Steven this summer. I didn't hear about this. Do we have a date for when it's coming back? Uh, I don't think we have a date yet, but they've said that there's going to be another Summer of Steven. That's very exciting. That's very exciting, because for those of you not in the wear, Summer of Steven's like a Steven bomb, Except for the fact that it's all summer. It's not like back-to-back-back-back episodes like Stephen Bomb, but you at least get new episodes every yeah. week for a little while. And that's always really nice. Yes, yes. We're <laughs> and then, then sometimes you'll get a Stephen Bomb within a summer of Stephen. And it's like Christmas in July. Literally in... <laughs> Literally in July, yeah. No, it's, yeah. A, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Um, our next show uh, for this week in genre is, is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Watchdogs. And I wanted to mention this just for a few things. First of all, because part of it is set in Naperville, Illinois, where I spend a lot of my time. So that was okay. just, you know, you know the little... Did thrill. it actually look like Illinois? No. No, no, it yeah. didn't look like Naperville. Like that house that they were, they're in this house and it's like supposed to be in Naperville. I'm like, there is way too much lawn surrounding. There's like no <laughs> other houses anywhere near this. So I don't know where you are in Naperville, where you abut a woods and do not have neighbors um, because it's all like subdivisions and, and such. But right. um, anyways, uh, the and the notion that South Bend is close to Naperville, I'm like, it is, I mean compared to wherever their base is yes but that's more than a couple hours away yeah round trip <laughs> at least you know um sure but you know people don't know that that's fine yeah. uh the so that was one reason second because we have smash williams guys charles showing up as max brother it was a very overdue max centric episode that I felt really worked very well i really like the dynamic between the two brothers and what we see there uh we got some more stuff with simmons and with may and sorry i still don't care about may and i don't care about her her ex and lash and all of that um we got more stuff with Lincoln. They try. They try. So it, what this episode does is it's trying to get us to care more about this, the characters who are still there. Um, and mm-hmm. with Mac, super successful. Then again, I was already invested in Mac. Um, we, we have some lead up to some stuff going on with Civil War um, because of, uh, you know, Daisy getting more, you know, Iron Man and more 
ends just by the means and totalitarian and just oh, okay. and 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 then mac playing the this isn't right what about liberties what about freedoms like all that stuff. mac would be totally team cap totally team cap um right. so so uh, that was very exciting to see that already starting to filter into the show i'm hoping that civil war will be just as much of a propel- propulsion forward for um mm-hmm. agents of shield as uh, winter soldier was that would be sure awesome if that happened um but yeah so some parts of the episode i wasn't particularly invested in but other parts i thought did work very well and like like i already said it was about time we got a mac centric episode so uh if you do catch up with it i think you'll you'll enjoy that yeah. part of it no you said mac centric so i'll uh watch it soon yeah. Um, and I'm also going to mention the hundred very briefly, mostly because I don't really care about talking about the hundred in extended ways right now. Uh, I will shout out that uh, Les Crew has their Trevor Project uh, donation drive up to over one hundred ten thousand dollars. So that's fantastic news. Yeah. Anyways, that's your update on that. They they kill off Lincoln this week, which is not super shocking to anyone who knows for that, multiple reasons. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. There's been some dragging going on from from that actor to the show runner at least um but yeah. he also was cast over on american gods which had its first tone meeting today as twitter told oh, me cool very that's exciting. exciting that's a room full yeah. of people that i am glad are in the same room working together um yeah. but uh this the way that this was handled it just felt so very inevitable because you know i know that the actors leaving the show um I, I was trying to reframe it in my mind so it's not the the person of color is getting killed to save the white guy, which kind of right. is what happens. Uh. Um, he was well, he was saving his, the other grounders, uh-huh. but he got captured during the escape, and he went back, and the white guy escapes. So like. Yeah, I don't know. it's kind of squishy. It's kind of squishy. Um, the Lincoln's choice was, he made his choice to save his people. So that's, you yeah, know. That's it, good. That's very in keeping with the show. It's very in keeping with the character. Um, uh, poor Octavia, one of my favorite characters on the show. Uh, it's going to be a rough go for her. But I, I actually enjoyed some of the stuff we got with um, Murphy for once. Team uh, Murphy forever. So there's that. And uh, I continue to not give a shit about Bellamy. So that is where I am at on the 100. Okay. Um, let's move on to Legends of Tomorrow, though, because this was a twist-filled episode. What did you think? It was. Left behind. Um, I got to review this, so I'll like keep this quick because I want to hear how you felt. Um, but no, Left Behind, I think, was like the first legitimately good episode that the show's done. Um, nine episodes into a 16 episode order, that's not great, but nine episodes, (laughs) if they had like a regular season, that would be perfectly fine. But at this point we're halfway through the show and you guys just gave him a really good episode. Eh, but so the big reasons I like this episode, one is that it dealt with kind of the darker elements of time travel. So what happens if you get left behind? What does this kind of mean when you're stuck in some place for like two, three years and it's like 10 minutes Mm-hmm. for everyone else and that's just and the effects that that have and that's really interesting stuff and i'm saying that because it related to kendra and ray the two least interesting people on the show well only and now because they killed the most the least interesting the least least interesting yeah. right like carter's dead so yeah. by default um but their whole interchange about how they how what their relationship meant then and how it immediately changed for kendra was just really fascinating, really interesting, I thought. And then Sarah's, like, time drift into becoming the League of Assassins also demonstrated just how dangerous this whole time travel aspect can be. 
But then the big twist mm-hmm. is that the entire time Kronos has been Mick Rory, a.k.a. Heatwave, and I, in my notes I just typed, oh shit. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that, and then that they layered it on that the Time Masters had spent lifetimes rebuilding him and brainwashing him, and I just went, you guys are actually grappling with interesting issues of time travel, and I'm very excited about this. And I'm very excited that Heatwave is now cold, basically. Mm-hmm. Not capital C cold, but lower C cold. But that he's also just, he's become really different. And then the fact that Rip is wanting to basically unbuild him and rebuild him again. I also just, Heatwave has just been consistently manipulated throughout this series. And used and done to very little that he has been able to do. And I'm just really fascinated by and by this whole arc that they're giving Heatwave. This for this show where I just went, Heatwave is going to have nothing to do because he's the arsonist psychopath. And now I'm just like, he's one of the most interesting characters on the show. For me anyway. And I'm just really excited about where this could go. I'm suddenly like mildly invested in this show when I was just like, oh god, can we get to something interesting already? So tell me how you were feeling about Left Behind. You just give the show so much more credit than I do. Ah, ah, ah. Like... That's, the fir- that's the first time I've ever been accused of that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> okay, for you, it's like, oh, they're doing this really interesting stuff with time travel. For me, it's, yeah. they're completely ignoring their character work. So Sarah goes back to the League of Assassins, cuz? And then she gets unbrainwashed with the League in two seconds. Right, no, cause... I have an issue with that. By saying, you're the white canary, and it's just like, uh, no, that would have required a little more work. But I don't have an issue with Sarah going back in, back to the League. I, that didn't bother me at all. Oh, it totally did me. Yeah. yeah. I didn't buy it for a second. Uh, I mean, like, her being lost, totally yeah. get. Her deciding to, like, go off on her own, totally get. Her going back to the League after her break with the League and after her negative relationship with, you know, Roz and, and this other stuff, which maybe I'm not remembering correctly because some of that Arrow stuff just kind of blurs in no, my mind. No, she doesn't have a good relationship. With yeah, her, why uh, would she Rish. go back? Why? I don't buy it at all. And then I don't buy her being like robot zombie girl in, in the League and two seconds later being back. And then when she says like, I know how powerful mind control can be over someone. It's like, oh, when you were brainwashed 30 seconds ago, that's, <laughs> oh my, I don't buy it for a second. I also didn't buy all the stuff with um, with Heatwave. So when there's like, oh, they spend lifetimes getting me to be this way. But by the end of the season, you guys will have fixed me. In a matter of weeks. I mean, come on. Right. You know that's what's going to happen. Right, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, they can just stay in time limbo, but they're not going to, like, spend lifetimes doing it because they're not, like, they're not an entire organization. Yeah. I just, like, for me, that was just very, they wanted it, they, they wanted there to be a twist, um, and I, I, I don't feel like Kronos has always been Heatwave because this is not Heatwave. You know, like, so when he was Kronos, first of all, I, he wasn't a character. He was just, like, a, might no. have, been, have been a robot. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I do think that there's interesting stuff there, and hopefully they'll be getting to it. Um, I liked this notion of, like, when Cold freezes off his hand, I was like, damn, that takes some commitment. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it's fixed. But it's okay, it, so. because, yeah, yeah. Because Fixed science. even quicker than Phil's hand. Yeah, totally. Shield. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm hoping that that will 
be explored more and um and and this note like you say he has been he has been controlled and uh manipulated by everyone around him including uh captain cold Yeah. yeah all like all season at least if not longer and yeah it would be lovely if somebody would ask him what he wants yes um but we'll see about that. Yeah. Um, the part of the episode that did really work for me was the stuff with Kendra and and with uh, the Adam. And I thought that that stuff, um, the sort of just the difference in their read of the of the situation was very um, very well played, well written and performed. Also, a fun little subtext: the white guy didn't mind being in the sixty, in the fifties and sixties. Right. Yeah. The yeah. the woman of color less excited to be like the the praised uh you know professor versus the librarian yeah. who didn't ever want to be a librarian um so i you know i thought that was a fun little subtext there if you want and the yeah. fact that they didn't get into that either i think also helped because they, they 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 did it yeah they, they did that also, previously like, yeah they did that previously which i think helped preventing them from repeating themselves was good yeah i think it was good too um but that dynamic is good and uh i think the two are sweet together um they have a a good enough rapport even if it's not particularly crackling with energy as far as i'm concerned um but yeah i I hope that hopefully that'll go somewhere more interesting i liked um the expression on raish's face looking at firestorm just being like like i just imagine him going home in my diary in his diary today uh there was a thing i don't even i don't even know what happened came with a burning man yeah Weirdest thing I've seen in my 700 years of life. Also, I think I'll name my daughter Nissa. <laughs> you know, like, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so I thought that that was, um, that, that stuff, there was a lot of fun little things like that. And, and mm-hmm. just like how much the Adam really didn't want to be back there, I thought was also a nice little touch. So uh, I, for yeah. me, I guess it was just much more on par with the rest of the season mm-hmm. than it was for you. But I'm glad that you liked it. And I hope that you, your, uh, your faith in the show uh, is more correct than my cynicism towards the show. I am too. Like, I ended my review basically saying, I really hope I don't have to write a really negative review next week. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'll be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to our next show because I was a little frustrated with Twitter about Arrow Beacons of Hope because I watched this after seeing the response on Twitter and the, okay. I got it got my hopes up way too high. This was, I thought, a fun, light, breezy episode, but people were talking yes. about it like it was like the best episode of Arrow ever. And I... I just think it was kind of fun. What did you think? Right. Well, I do think it's probably pretty close to their best episode that this season that they've done. Um, I could probably think of a couple of potentials. Um, but this, for me, felt like Beacons of Hope was what I thought this season was going to be more like based on the premiere, which is probably why I responded so strongly to it. But no, this was just a really fun episode where the Bug-Eyed Bandit showed back up with her bees to steal the uh, Felicity's bio-implant because she has a tumor on her vertebrae and the bees can only do so much to keep it from... The bees can only do so much to stop her cancer, Kate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, this was an episode where Oliver had mechanical bees replicating inside him that Laurel had to scream to destroy so the problem was literally solved by laurel yelling at oliver which it's just the best thing yeah i'm really i'm down with that (laughs) and then curtis found out that everyone's everyone and he responded very appropriately 
and had a cold at the same time, which just made it much funnier. Um, but yeah, no, this, and then the bees formed into this weird humanoid thing, and it was just like, this is really silly, and really ridiculous, and I loved every minute of it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, even, like, random little bits of business, like Donna's in this episode, and Donna's, like, prattling in Felicity's ear, and Felicity's just trying to shove Donna's hair into Donna's mouth (laughs) at one point to make her stop talking. I'm just like, where did all of this come from? Because this isn't Arrow, really. They don't do really silly, fun episodes like this. They do action-y episodes that can be fun. But they don't do silly episodes where people are being chased by mechanical bees and they're worried about a John Hurt and alien situation with mechanical bees. (laughs) See, but they should do more like this. Yes, they should. It it works so well. And the cast is really good at this. And when you let, you know, Captain Lance just be like... Um, this is my life now. Do we we have honey? I don't know. Like, like it, it works really, really well. And and bringing Curtis in in this episode, I thought worked was a smart move and worked very well. Echo Column is great. Very glad to see him continuing to pop up on this show. Um, I was very not down with him lying to his husband at the end, though. Not cool. Nope. You can not trust cool. John. Come on. <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, I I, th- I thought the the discussions we were getting between Oliver and Laurel worked really well were you smiling when they said like exactly what we said in the podcast last week yeah no i was just like guys you you said in two sentences what kate and i spent like three minutes on and what i spent 800 words on (laughs) in my review last week so thanks for that but it also made it so that i didn't have to write about it which was Mm -hmm. i I appreciate yeah yep and i liked them having thea with felicity for most of the episode that's a dynamic that i enjoy that often doesn't get a lot of time yeah um and like you said the stuff with donna was really good the exploration of why felicity has done what she has done uh i think was also like uh, for me a lot of this was just all clicking in and and working really well i think i just expected it from people people were saying to be funnier and it wasn't actually that funny but it was really fun the bee puns were fantastic. You shut your mouth. There weren't enough of them. I'm so, finally someone else that didn't think that there were enough bee puns. Because like, I didn't think there were enough bee puns either. Best bee most, pun. Go. Uh, oh, easily Curtis's bee author pun. Bee Arthur is good, but I would give it to Felicity's biatch at the no, end. No, it's no? bee author all the way. Because <laughs> there's no way in which a bee author pun is not good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, B. Arthur is pretty great. But um, any other thoughts on Arrow? Because I, like, this episode was fun, but then when you put it next to what our next episode is, it does pales in comparison. It does pale in comparison. The only other thing I'll say about Arrow is that this was probably, like, the last little sliver of light and bright and sunny that we're going to have on the show for the rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> As Malcolm suddenly becomes the new big bad of the season. and Oh, gosh. And okay. we just all go, why isn't he dead yet? Yes, and why didn't Oliver just chop off his head instead of his arm? Anyway, let's talk about ice cream. Supergirl. Supergirl. World's <laughs> finest. Uh, also called The Flash is on Supergirl. Yes! <laughs> because I think that's how we all felt, right? And also, why didn't Barry and Kara make out? Hashtag Team Barra. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this episode was just super delightful and cheery and fun. Their decision to time it to go uh, the the you know the weekend or the Monday after the Batman versus Superman, I thought was 
fabulous their discussion of why do they have to be like enemies can't they like they can be partners right i thought all of that was great the um let's uh be women about this you know all yes. all of the fabulous feminism of this episode the blur versus flash and this this was just a confection of an episode and this is i think what pretty much all of us expected when we found out that they were going to bring the flash on um because it's just those two grant gustin and michelle benoist have fantastic chemistry with pretty much everybody that they're on screen with but certainly with each other it's next level and it was just this is what i want more of these superhero shows to be it's okay to not be angsty it's okay to be positive and hopeful and all of these wonderful things and to take joy in what they are experiencing instead of constantly feeling the need to be grittier than thou um so Mm -hmm. i just i loved it what did you think uh no i also loved it um basically everything that you just said um just like that ice cream scene after they come back and just benoist's just sheer elation at getting ice cream that quickly and then just how she just keeps looking at barry while she's looking at the ice cream with this you're so cool you just gave me ice cream and i'm eating it still (laughs) you're the you're the gift that keeps on giving because i'm still eating this (laughs) and the fact that they both love to eat like barry needs to eat Kara loves to eat and just all this stuff. And I just, I had so much fun and with it and I just, I just didn't want it to end. Basically. I was just like, mm-hmm. no, Barry, just stay here. I don't care that there's no central, that there's no star labs or Cisco Ramon or Harrison Wells. You still have ice cream and Mariah Carey. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that this was also just a really good episode for like, when had someone to talk to this week? Yeah. Which was really nice for Wynn, because otherwise he just gets to mope, basically. Yeah. And so that was fun. Uh, Kat, oh, we need to talk about Kat a little bit. And how she's amazing. Amazing. It's just so great. And talking was the wrong choice. And Yes. And I've really decided, especially like when Livewire and Silver Banshee showed up in the office, that... Cat Grant is Supergirl's lowest lane in a number of ways mm-hmm. in terms of just like, she's talking smack to both of them. <laughs> yep. And she's like, you know that this doesn't end well for you because Supergirl's going to show up. <laughs> oh, we're going to go through the motions. Okay, let's go through the motions. <laughs> and then, but at the same time, they give her that really sincere moment where she's just like, she doesn't want her, her two sons to be left alone or any of this stuff. And then as soon as Kara shows up, she's just like, what took you so long? <laughs> I had to be like sitting here opening myself up to two ex-employees. Do you realize how painful that was? <laughs> and just all of it. And it's so Lois. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy how they've made Kat into Lois. Basically, their version of Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like that. And she's and Calista Flockhart's just doing really terrific stuff. Just icy stares, and they're writing her just progressively better. Like, yes, of course, I realized Barry was the Flash. He was either had to be a superhero or a Mormon. He was too politely charming otherwise. <laughs> and it was just like, this is fantastic. And at the same time, it makes me think that she's just being w- willfully oblivious. Oh, I think it's also possible she just knows, and it's just yeah. That's what I mean by being willfully oblivious. She's just like, she's pretending that she hasn't figured this out. Because she recognizes Siobhan under that makeup and the wig and Uh everything. And I'm just like, it's kind of hard to see her under all of that. 
Well, and, and like, she's like, and she yeah. did the thing where she said, "I think you're Supergirl, and it's bothering me that you're here, and I'm going to yeah. fire you." And and she's also as we've as we talked about, she's come to realize the connection that she has with Supergirl. Yes. So like, clearly this is what Supergirl wants. So yeah. I, I as far as I'm concerned, she knows and has yeah. known for a while. I'm I'm cool yeah. with it. And even like her relationship with Kara has like thought. I mean that entire bit with the cupcakes and yeah. the relationship advice mm-hmm. was just like so not where they were even like four episodes ago. Yeah. And I think that's really significant. And the other thing about the relationship advice that I was really happy with is that it worked for James, but it also applied to how she was trying so hard to make the city like her Supergirl again. Yeah. I put, I helped a family put together an Ikea table and nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, no, it was all just really, really great. And I don't think it was as strong an episode as, in terms of just, like, character and everything as, like, the Red Kryptonite episode was. But just on the sheer just enjoyment and pleasure episode, bar none, like, by far and away, the best thing that the show's done and really the best genre at getting ahead of ourselves. But we also tweeted about this already, so no surprise to anyone, but this is the winner for this week in genre. Hands down, nothing else came close. No. Well, and the um, the ending yet is is cheesy. The way it's delivered, the lines of dialogue. That, We're gonna stand up for Supergirl. I mean, like, I don't care. It's so it cheesy. Works. But but I will give them that because the rest of the episode is so good because they've gotten us on their side. The show and yeah. the writers have gotten us on their side by this point. So I'll give it to you. Sure. Right. It, it fits in the tone of the episode, and yeah. and we also know that this is a one-off, that they're not going to do this yeah. every week, and and, yeah. and it also looks like we're headed towards a darker next, uh, you know, last yes. two episodes. So I'm glad yes. we get this little, you know, you know right. mo- moment of, of levity before things get really dark for the two-part finale, what I assume is a two-part finale. Yeah, no, it's by far and away, it has to be a two-part finale, because you don't mind control an entire city. Yeah. And then it's... Do that in a one-part... <laughs> Yeah, you don't do that. You need two parts for that. And man, that sucks for Kara. She finally gets to kiss the guy and he gets mind controlled immediately. Yeah. Oh my God. But her, her reaction of, oh, was it bad? Was, so, was it bad? Was it so good? Was it bad? <laughs> Tell me. And I'm just like, yeah, this is so good. <laughs> yeah. So good. So, so very good. Um, and the last thing I'll say, because you talked about it, but I didn't yet. I loved Win in this. Him getting to yeah. actually geek out with someone and just enjoy, just relish James's jealousy after having, like, gone through that himself uh, was delightful. Yeah. I didn't know your face could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked his jealousy, thy name, uh, was, yeah. was, was my favorite. But, yeah, very good. Um, well, we already have tweeted about it. we were talking about it clearly yeah. this week in genre yeah. goes to supergirl uh i guess second place i would give to adventure time um but it's, i think that's fair yeah but yeah but clearly supergirl so wonderful and now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama
this week in drama, we're going to talk a little bit about the Rush Hour pilot. Uh, then we'll talk a bit about the Path premiere, what the fire throws. We'll talk about the Era of the Ladder, which is their second episode. I'll also talk a bit about the Grandchester season two premiere and Better Call Saul inflatable before we both talk about The Good Wife, Unmanned, Elementary, Ready or Not, and wrap things up with Manna from Heaven. Oh, that mwah, that fantastic ninth episode of American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. But first up, very different. Rush Hour had its pilot. Um, this is not the worst pilot I've seen by quite a stretch. However, it is the only pilot to just have a close-up on a woman's ass. Uh, that's the thing that we're watching in 2016 on, on was it CBS? CBS, yes. How... Well, you also have to remember that CBS is a show that in the pilot of one of the worst shows in recent memory that they set a woman on fire in a car yeah. and called open. So, yeah. I mean... May, may, <laughs> may rush out. May stalk her not rest in peace. Yeah, oh God, yeah. Well, it's like, and, and I, I kind of just, be, based on the that the fact that they made that choice in this pilot, I kind of want it to get the same ratings as Stalker, but that's not fair because it's much 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 better than stalker as pretty much everything is it's much less it's much less offensive than stalker yeah but that's because it tries to be as inoffensive as possible <laughs> yeah i don't know how are you with like why would you pick rush hour of all the movies to turn into a show no and i mean like we talked about this extensively and totally tubular so i'll hopefully you went and went you're gonna go listen to this after you've listened to kate and i talk um, but it's just like this, r- watching the Rush Hour pilot and then having had like 20 episodes of Limitless and you immediately go, guys, there are ways to adapt things in a unique way and ways that say, here's our voice. You don't <laughs> basically do the first movie and truncate it into 45 minutes. That's a bad idea, because then we're just comparing it to the movie endlessly. We're talking about how neither of the actors have anywhere near as much charisma as Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan do. We're talking about how the action sequences are completely wasted and really poorly staged. Not even, they're not poorly staged, they're just competently staged, but they're not interesting. The entire thing of bouncing between priceless statues that you don't want to get broken should be a Buster Keaton-esque fantasia of people trying to stop things from hitting the ground and instead was nothing like that. And it's just like, what are you doing with this? And I mean, I don't mean any disrespect to whom I'm about to praise because she's a fantastic actress and everything, but when Wendy Malick in the really thankless role as the police chief is your shining star, (laughs) there's a problem. (laughs) Yep. When the police chief is your most uh, interesting performance, or not performance necessarily, but the character that I am most likely to want to spend another scene with, that's yes. a problem. That's a problem. Uh, just, yeah. This is a fish-out-of-water comedy. Yeah. Like so many other fish-out-of-water comedies, there's no reason for it to be this one. And other than to take the name Rush Hour, but I don't think that's going to get them a lot of viewers, because... People didn't watch Rush Hour because of that. They watched it for the people that were in that movie. Um, right. So, yeah. this When I could be watching any of the other myriad uh, fish-out-of-water comedies, fish-out-of-water cop comedies that have existed, uh, or, or I guess not comedies, dramedies, lighthearted procedurals, 
Um, yes. Why, why would I watch this one? And I think that comparison to Limitless is, is fantastic. Just shows you, you know, but then again, I wasn't big on the Limitless pilot. And by episode four, I was super on board with that. Right. And this could turn itself around. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not convinced it will. Because I'm not holding my I'm just ex- I'm just expecting that the second episode's Rush Hour 2 and the third episode's Rush Hour 3. So I have no idea what the fourth episode's going to be. <laughs> no. Um, lazy, really lazy joke. No, I'm not. I was not impressed with this. But at the same time, I mean, it's just like, it's purely inoffensive in how just middle of the road it is. Yeah. I don't really yeah. have anything else to say. Let's move on to the path. No. Um, right. What the Fire Throws and the Era of the Ladder. I reviewed this over at the AV Club, and I'm going to be reviewing it week to week over there. Um, so you guys can check out my reviews and my thoughts here. This My review this week was, was like, too much to really break into everything because of all these episodes. Sure. So, so it's a little bit more overall. My main takeaway for these two episodes was that I was underwhelmed. Or I, I, I was underwhelmed by the writing. But I enjoyed the performances. So I was expecting the writing to be a bit better than it was. But I really enjoyed some of the performances and certainly the moments in the first episode, which you've seen, and in the second episode, which you haven't yet, where they let the storytelling get more visual, I thought were much, much more effective. Like the the, the closing sequence with Plato's cave, what he's saying is all very – it's not particularly illuminating. But the way that it's told was very effective to me. Um, what, What did you think about that sequence? I uh, no, it was a really great sequence, and I, the problem—the only problem with it was—is that I was watching it and go, "Wait a minute, Hannibal did this just with a Dante lecture, <laughs> and it was better." <laughs> and it was, it was, it was, it was visually a bit more interesting. But that aside, um, no, um, I'm not—I don't have a really firm opinion about this based on the first episode. Um, I'm still really interested and fascinated to watch this show. Um, just because we've discussed, like, in a number of other instances, just, like, depictions of religion and spirituality in television. And, um, and and every time we've talked about it, I've always, like, forgot to mention, even though I don't watch it, like, The Leftovers, and which is a deeply spiritual show from you talking about it and from Corey discussing it as well. Um, so, I mean, that's something that I need to, like, at least keep in the back of my mind to have you talk about in relation to the path. And, but I'm still interested in this just from, on a performance level, like you mentioned. Um, just because I was just like, wow, that's a charisma neutron bomb that you saved until the end of the episode for me to have Aaron Paul and Hugh Dancy in the same room. (laughs) (laughs) Talking to one another. And I just want, I wanted to see that. And it was the end of the episode. Um, so I'm still interested in seeing what the show is going to do and what it's going to be about. I don't have a firm sense of that. I didn't particularly care for, like, the split perspective of the first episode of, all right, this is what happened, but this is also what happened. And I just went, eh, to that device. It's never my favorite device. Um, I'd much rather have just a linear thing because it didn't illuminate either of the characters in a way that doing it in a straightforward way wouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell me any anything more about Michelle Monaghan's character. And it didn't tell me anything more about Aaron Paul's character um, than just doing it in a regular order would have told me. Um, so that was, that was frustrating. Um, so I'm willing to give it like some room basically 
but I just have to remember to watch it because I never remember to watch Hulu. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, no, um, what can you tell me just, like, generally about, like, what the second episode, like, involves and how you felt about that second episode, at least? Well, what I was surprised by with this is I guess I was anticipating it to be a much more original and creative concept. Because what it feels, and again, I've only seen the first two. I would, uh, you know, I'm not, I haven't watched ahead yet. Um, so what what it feels like it's doing is basically Scientology, but not Scientology right now. Scientology when it transitioned from the initial leader to Miscavige, uh, taking mm-hmm. over and changing the direction. Hubbard from Hubbard, yeah. yeah. So this idea that they have um, Doc, you know, Steve or whatever his name is, um, who founded the the Myrist Myrism My, Myrist movement um and has these teachings and then all of a you know something happens and there's this new guy in charge Cal who wants to break off and start starts breaking from some of the tenets of what he what you know Meyer had said and you know in order to promote the church agree to do some interviews even though you're not they're not supposed to do that it's against the teachings but he has this vision this an idea of taking the church bigger and bigger and like of, of there being a less destructive or corrosive core but then somebody wants power for some reason or doesn't even realize that that's what they're going for and so it gets warped and turns more and more uh cult-like i mean i don't think the um the theatricality of that ending of the first episode is any coincidence that's something that clearly cal appreciates and understands the power of um so i was anticipating this being a a bit more original it feels to me like this is going to be not unusual or not atypical for those who have read up on scientology and different people's complaints about the church at various the church air quotes of scientology i personally think it's a dangerous cult personal opinion so you can't y'all can't sue me um but um that progress the idea that like oh it was fine until a certain person took over which is what some people feel i disagree with them from the little i know but what some people feel about scientology is when miscavige uh took over that's when the problem really started so um hopefully i'm wrong hopefully they're doing something more dynamic but even if they are even if they're just going to do a more straightforward power corrupts narrative they they have some really talented actors to do yes. that with yeah. um also this uh aaron paul's character again it looks like it's just a pretty straightforward i have lost my faith this you know this, i saw this thing and that means they're they're lying and so then do how do i get my family out again it it's a pretty straightforward trying to escape a cult narrative so um we'll see how it goes but I am certainly optimistic because of the people involved. I, I really like what we get with Paul and with um, Dancy and with Michelle Monaghan, who's the one that I'm most looking forward to finally getting to see get material that is worthy of her because yeah. Aaron Paul got Breaking Bad and Dancy got Hannibal. And I'm not counting True Detective as being worthy of Michelle Monaghan. So, um, she was really good in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. But I mean, I have to I reach all the way. I want weekly TV that <laughs> right, uses no. her well, that lets yes, her show no. her chops. I'll agree with that. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so that that's what uh, we'll, we're looking at—the ladder of uh, like the the era of the ladder. This notion of um, what's coming next for the show and for the church, uh, I think, works. Uh, what I also have to mention: um, Did you now? I forgot how much of this is in the first episode. Did you see Cusco in the first episode? 
Just uh, just Eddie's visit and yeah. the um, and Minka Kelly was there for Mika some reason. Okay, so you just thought there was just a random little... reason. I, I will also just mention briefly having been to Cusco, Peru twice. Okay. Um, I really hope they're not gonna get too. It's just I hope they're very specific <laughs> with how they choose to portray any uh, indigenous people that they want to include. Just, I'm skeptical. Uh, I'm just a little. My, my, I mentioned in my review that my skeptical eyebrow is raised because um, there's just there was a person who looked like they were trying to dress them as an indigenous person, but yeah, no, it looked exactly like that. Feathers in their hair, and that's and like so, like that. That's not Peruvian. That's not Indian. That's not. I mean, my brother-in-law is Peruvian. That my sister spent the summer. Uh, or not somewhere. My sister has been to indigenous festivals in the mountains of Peru. Um, so that's not what that should look like. Uh, so I hope right. that they just do their research. Or, I mean, at least if not do research in terms of representation, at least explain in the sense that the Myrists have basically hired these people to dress like what they think their cult members from America think that this is what this looks like. Yeah, and that doing... would work. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, because the the pan pipes totally like everywhere, like yeah. very that's very much in the let's you know like go over by the tourists and like you know yeah that kind of a thing, busk for money thing. Sure, I can go for that. But um, the feathers and the hair thing that's that's an American, uh, Native American situation, not a Peruvian Andean indigenous person kind of thing. Maybe in the jungle. I, I asked around. Maybe in the jungle. Certainly not in the mountains where Cusco is. So, um, okay. comparatively. Anyway, so that's just a personal connection there. Uh, but that that is... That's where I met with the path. So, you're, you said you're okay. going to try to catch up and watch? Yeah, no. I'll, yeah, I'll try to keep up with it as much as I can remember, again, to watch Hulu. I'm probably going to have to, like, write notes to myself to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, that's, like, how I feel about 112263. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, our next show is Grandchester, which has season two premiere. I just wanted to mention it briefly because I've been hearing about it for a while. So I checked in on the premiere and this, this is a premiere, Noel, that has a subplot about how it is important for abortions to be legal and safe and accessible for all people. And I was like, what is this show? And why haven't I heard of it? It's like show. Are you trying to win me over? Because congratulations. Well done. Um, so yeah. it's, it's just, there's a subplot about a, a young woman who gets pregnant and tries to, perform an abortion on herself like tries to drink something yeah. to lose the baby and ends up dying um so this is this is the sexy vicar solves cases oh show. okay i have okay yeah i've um, heard of i didn't know the title i just heard of a show in which a vicar solves cases and he's very good looking that's that's literally i didn't even know the title to this show yeah yeah that that's all i know about. <laughs> the the actual uh, Sexy Vicar, Vicar Solves Cases part of the show was a little meh to me. Um, mm-hmm. um, just very, It's very much in the British Mystery of the Week kind of show. Um, sure. It didn't stand out for me above and beyond several other shows in this ilk, but I did appreciate that they were went so straightforward with their subplot and just be like, oh yeah, we have politics. Our show does, mm-hmm. and we're okay with that. We're, you know, we're okay with that being uh, our subtext. So um, anyways, tip of the hat, Grant Chester. Thank you very much for that. Um, Better Call Saul had an inflatable this week. I just wanted to mention Better Call Saul very briefly. Uh, they've had a, la- a strong last couple episodes. But what I found myself doing with Better Call Saul is, like, putting off watching it. I really like the show, but I enjoy the characters, and I feel like nothing good is coming for any of them. 
Well, I mean, so it, it's not. <laughs> it makes me not want to watch the show. Like it makes yeah. it makes me not want to watch a new episode because I'm worried something bad is this the week that that Kim's life is ruined by all of this again. Like, again, it looks just like there's a sense for me of of doom. Mm-hmm. Not just over certain characters, but over everyone. And I know that Mike is going to be fine because he's in Breaking Bad. And I know that Jimmy could become Saul eventually and all of that. But I I think it mostly comes down to Kim. I really like Kim. So I don't want to watch more stories because I am concerned. I, don't, I can't really see a way that her story ends well. And that's yeah. making me not want to watch the show. Is Has that happened to you ever with this show or, or with other shows? No, I'm trying to think of an example and I can't, one doesn't immediately come to mind where it's just like the sense of dread or the sense of, I don't want it to be over, I think is also like an example of that kind of thing. Um, I think maybe like the closest I came, even though I immediately watched it, it was just like American Crime recently, where I was just like, I don't really want to watch this because I know bad things are going to happen and then I hit play on the DVR and watch it mm-hmm. and then I'm just like I was right <laughs> bad things did happen and they made me cry so, um, like, I don't want anything bad to happen to Martha on the Americans these other characters right. but I mean there's I guess maybe it's just a element of risk reward yeah where I'm I'm really enjoying Better Call Saul but I'm not getting enough of a reward for at least for the character of Kim yeah um well, so, and I think the other thing to think about is that, like you said, you know where Jimmy ends up. You know where Mike ends up. Mm-hmm. You don't know where Kim ends up. So that's actually your point of suspense. And that's why there's a tension. Yeah. It's just like, uh, I know what happens to those two guys, but I don't know what happens to this woman. It's freaking me the fuck out. Because there's this comfort for Better Call Saul as a prequel and everything that, oh, we're getting the journey to X. Mm-hmm. And... How they tell that journey can be full of surprises, but we still know the destination. But you don't know Kim's destination in any way, shape, or form. I know her destination is she's not around Jimmy. Yeah. So, and she like, could be happy. She, she of could that. be happy. She so like the best thing that can happen for that character for me is for her to say "fuck it, I'm gone" and yeah. just leave him. But. That's a sad thing in the context of yes. Better Call Saul. So right. the only thing I can hope for is for her to get so hurt by him in some way that she leaves him and cuts him out of her life. Yay? Yeah. Yay? The guy that she kind of loves, I guess? Yeah. It's just yeah. like, it's a very different experience for me. Yeah. Anyways. And I'm also three be- three episodes, three or four episodes behind on the show now. And I'm not watching it, like, immediately for a totally different reason. It's just because... Not your show. I, I can't get really deeply invested in any of this. So we have the opposite concern. Yes. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> this is entertaining, and I appreciate the aesthetics of this, but i just really bored by this right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I think that's as good a transition as we're going to get. To the good to wife. The good wife? <laughs> Unmanned. And this week, we were talking about it because Alicia says she wants a divorce because there's only so many episodes before the finale, so now she wants a divorce, and that's why. Um, yeah. Structurally, that's why. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's the only reason why. Like, I, I, it's all peace-moving for me. I don't buy into any of it. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand, like, not buying into any of it. And I understand not buying into any of it. I, I'm willing to buy into some of it, but 
for the most part, it was just like, well, no, she was always going to ask for a divorce at some point. Um, but I think for me, the inevitability of the divorce and Peter's basic acceptance of the divorce after he got done slate shaming her for peeing Will, on her what, leg, right? For one more time, because yeah. oh, maybe this time it's really love, and she's like. Oh, shut the fuck up, Peter. You just had a relationship with Ramona. Remember Ramona? No, you don't want us to remember Ramona show? I do. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I remember you wasting Connie Nielsen for four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, I think that the big thing is not so much that she's asking for the divorce now or that Peter's acceptance of it is comes fairly quickly. And frankly, it all feels vaguely anticlimactic. Uh, but... The fact that he, it's all about the show doing its best to come full circle again. Yeah. So the conundrum isn't, oh, the divorce. The conundrum is, I need you not to leave me while I'm being indicted again. <laughs> Can you do that for me? And I think that's what they're trying to get to with, with it here, is to bring it all again full circle. And... The show's been doing that really consistently this season in really terrible, boring ways. <laughs> and so doing it again here, I'm just like, well, yeah, I, I figured that's what you were going to do because you're indicting Peter again. He, 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 he's always being indicted, which I appreciated the show calling attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think that the only other big takeaway from Unmanned, aside from the fact that it wasted Blair Underwood in a different way than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. managed to waste Blair Underwood. <laughs> Which is a sentence I would never thought I would say about comparing either of those shows. Uh, but Carrie just got up and walked out. That was awesome. That was awesome. And I was really excited about that. Um, mainly because, A, I love Carrie. He's really my favorite character on the show. But he's also the last decent human being on this show. And the fact that he's finally realized what a shit show his entire world is, I was just like, thank you, Mm -hmm. Carrie, for realizing that your life is terrible, that you didn't, you never wanted law firm politics. It's why you left in the first place, is that you hated all the intrigue. And then you started participating in it, and then you're suddenly not okay with it. And that was where, like, the disconnect again of this season just rushing things and not doing enough to set up things. And it's just like, Carrie, you were plotting to get Howard removed for like four episodes and I had to sit through that bullshit. (laughs) Yep. And now you've decided that you don't want to deal with Diane trying to do an all women's led firm. And David Lee is suddenly okay with it because he's got his 30 pieces of silver. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like, None of this narratively and character arc, to go back to, like, how you were talking about um, Legends of Tomorrow, this is how I feel about pretty much everything that The Good Wife was doing for most of this season, but within a lot of, like, plot movements for this episode, and Carrie specifically, it was just like, guys, you didn't do anywhere near enough to build this up, but because I love Carrie, I'm okay with it, Mm -hmm. even though Carrie should have left last season, either gone to jail or left, left with Kalinda, to save us all of this. <laughs> Even yeah. though, that being said, Carrie will probably be back within the next four episodes because he got subpoenaed for the indictment thing. Yeah. Or the trial or whatever is coming. And I cannot begin to tell you, Kate, how little I care. 
Yeah. About uh, Mr. Shu coming in with a beard and doing a grand jury. I just don't care about I don't any even, of it. I don't even know what they're trying to accomplish with the grand jury. I have no idea. Yeah. And the weird breaks between episodes haven't helped them. Like, they came back for, like, an episode, and now they're off for another three weeks. Yeah. I'm just like, I understand the show's over, CBS doesn't have to care, but I'm just like, CBS, I dealt with, I dealt with football preemptions. <laughs> the least you could have done is move the Country Music Awards to Monday. <laughs> But yeah, I, I uh, I'm still in for like the final four episodes. I'm going to be reviewing them at TV.com after taking what I thought was a significantly longer break than I did take. <laughs> I only took a three episode break, and I thought I took like a five episode break. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in for the next the final four episodes of the series, and I don't know what I want. And that's a really bizarre place to be in, as this show that I have season seven, season six, and season four aside have really loved. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I'm going to respond to this show ending, and I don't know what I want from it. And that's a really weird place to be in with four episodes left. Yep. I <laughs> just don't care. I used yeah. to. It was, remember when it was top ten? It was top ten for a few years there. It was top ten, it was top ten last year. No, it wasn't top ten last no, year. No, the year before. Yeah, season five was like... Definitely. It was like top three. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, let's move on to our next show, because I just don't yeah. want to talk with the good wife anymore. And the next show is Elementary, ready yes. or not, uh, and the long overdue return of Sherlock's new girlfriend. What did you think? Um, well, I I want to hear what you thought, because okay. you, you were, like, really, like, where the hell is Fiona? You guys, you promised me this, and you didn't do anything with it, and I... Where, 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 where are we going with this? Did this work for you? Were you, were you happy about this? I will go ahead and like tease you and preview and say, I really liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. But how did you feel about it? Because you were like really gung ho about her returning, and I was too. But I was also just like willing to let them do it in their own time. Yeah. Well, I, I just thought after they made such a big deal of yeah. of the way that they brought those two together that to just not mention her once for the next two episodes was very strange, but I liked the, the way that they brought her back here. I liked the dynamic between the two and with her and, and Joan as well. Um, I also love how well Joan can read both Sherlock and Fiona too. Um, but having their, any disconnect between them relate not to her, but very strongly to Sherlock and him telling her, no, 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 it's not you. It's that, I've never been in a real relationship that wasn't with a psychopath, uh, sociopath, whatever we're going to call Moriarty. So um, I'm very new at this, and I don't know how to how to act. I thought it was just so smart and uh, very well done. Um, that's the part of the episode that I connected more with. I, I actually, off the top of my head, it's been a while since I watched it. I can't actually remember what was the rest of the episode about. Um, It was about the death of a survivalist in oh a, yes right and the doomsday bunker that was not a doomsday bunker with the guy from <clears throat> that show that about fugitives with uh mary mccormick, McCormick. yeah yeah no i enjoy and, him i did yeah and he was I, I had fun with him because he had this weird voice thing going on it was really nicely done yeah i thought it was fun yeah but i don't really um, have more to say than that 
Yeah. No, I also really enjoyed the Fiona stuff. Um, and like you like your point about Joan being able to just understand both of them so well was just really great. The fact that they that Sherlock and Joan have a relationship where they're, they're in the back of a car going to a bunker and Sherlock's just like, I haven't had sex in 47 days and this has been quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and but him also saying I think Fiona is worth the fact that I'm not having sex for 47 days because of how this relationship has progressed and how I'm feeling about this relationship that I don't want the sex to be purely calisthenical. Mm-hmm. I think is just huge for Sherlock. Just the way that they played both Fiona coming in saying, I feel like you're treating me basically like China and China meaning the flatware, not the country. There wasn't a closed door policy here. Um, <laughs> And then her getting up and leaving basically felt beautifully in character mm-hmm. because she timed it and rehearsed it because it was difficult for her to say. Yeah. And difficult, she would presume, for him to hear. And so him inviting her over and everything and just explaining, like you said, no, no, I've been in like two and I'm not even sure I'm willing to count it <laughs> yeah. because she was a crazy person. <laughs> And not like, she wasn't atypical, she wasn't me, she was crazy. You don't understand. I'm using that word correctly. Right. And I think that the only other thing that he needs to do is say that he still, maybe if he's still in correspondence with her. Yeah, that would be good, yeah. Right. So, and I like the fact that she was just like, oh, this all makes sense. Would you like to have sex now? (laughs) And he's very much like, uh, I wouldn't not not like that. <laughs> and that's where we end. And I, I, I just really, yeah, no, I was really happy that Fiona came back. Um, I was even okay, again, with the fact that we just hadn't seen them really interact all that much. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, that's just kind of how this show works with how they handle. Because she's, Fiona's just removed from the cases. Mm-hmm. And when people get involved in the cases, they die. Yeah. Because <laughs> remember jo- Joan's boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> he he got a coffee cup that was not meant for him, and he died. <laughs> so I kind of don't want Fiona to show up very often, <laughs> because I don't want her to die. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, our last show of the week, though. I wanna, I've been, you know waiting on tenterhooks to talk about this one because i watched supergirl and then tweeted to you this wins our week in genre yeah. obviously and i watched american crime story and went well this wins our week in drama already know because it was an amazing episode this is american crime story the people versus oj simpson mana from heaven like jewelry and watch off shit's going down man and that actually she actually said that that's that was for realsies. No, she didn't mean she was gonna have to bitch slap somebody and get into a fight the way that I choose to read it because it's more fun that way. She meant I will go to jail with this guy because I I'm staying standing right by his side. But still, that was just the most beautiful of implied bitches that that TV has given me in quite a while. Yeah. No, this was just again. Uh, I I I can't even really. 
I'm trying to figure out a good way to talk about it. And mm-hmm. mostly it's just, wh- how did you just do this? And I think that's the big thing that I keep coming back to, especially with these more macro level episodes. Like Marsha, I, I keep going back to Marsha, Marsha, Marsha and the race card. And I just go, these were such really narrow episodes that I understand why they were so good. But then like these big macro level episodes, I just go, how did you manage to do that in a way in which I know how this is going to happen? And yet, like you, I'm just on the edge of my seat with it. Well, I think so much comes down to the just, performance. Yeah. Well, the performances, but just how insane the case actually was. So they can yeah. have these twists. They can have these realizations. And and I don't. I, mean, I didn't remember the thing about the Eo's wife. I did not remember a lot of stuff. And I remember hearing at the time um, something about, oh yeah, the they said they were saying the cop was racist or something. They're trying to get the guy off by like saying it was a racist cop that's all i knew i didn't know no 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 no. for realsies this is you're gonna hear some of the most horrible stuff you've heard a police officer ever say like as screenplay research yeah i mean i mean it's just so intense and and because there's so much they can draw from with this it allows them to do an episode nine twist of Oh, yeah. you're kidding me? He can throw all of this out. He's gonna have to recuse himself. We're gonna have to miss trial. They can do episode nine twist of no, 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 no. He says in these tapes, we should fake crime scenes. It's like it's you could not write this. You could not write this and have me believe it if it yeah. didn't actually happen. No, I think that's actually that explains exactly how this works. Thank you. Um, the only other like big takeaway for me for this episode, apart from all the other really great stuff, is just the visit to the South. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that great? And, oh, I mean, Cochran's frustration with not winning. And then just so many kudos to Courtney B. Vance and that, that reaction shot of him watching F. Lee Bailey go to work. And it's just like, you can just see it in his face. And it's just like, oh... I thought I knew how this worked. <laughs> Clearly, I did not. <laughs> and it's an important reminder that this defense team isn't just Johnny Cochran. Right. There's a lot of well, people with very it's different It's Effie Bailey sets. and Johnny Cochran, because it's not Shapiro. <laughs> 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 well, it is. like It is Shapiro on like a very, very surface level. But that's because it's Shapiro. He just immediately sees surface because he's a Beverly Hills lawyer that settles immediately. <laughs> well, but they bring in Barry Sheck for the DNA. They right. bring in the, but it's nice to see another attorney uh, on yeah. the defense team get to, you know, know their strength and play to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And the, just the interpersonal dynamics, the way that they have arced out uh, Darden and Clark um, in the previous episodes. And then the way it comes to a head here and just his, like the episodes of him saying, Furman's racist. Don't trust this yeah. guy. And her not believing him. Her not wanting to see uh, or understand that there is a different America that yeah. he lives in than she does. Um, yeah. I, just, it, I thought the way it came together was just very powerful. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think just the the mea culpa that they both expressed. Yeah. And that there are two errors, basically, that cost them this case. Mm-hmm. And it's just like insane yeah and um and we're obviously not going to get like a super centric Edo episode this was as close as we were going to get yeah um but i thought the, the Edo aspects were solid 
Yeah, I, I agree. Mean, they they didn't like blow it, anything else out of the water, mm-hmm. but I again I think that's generally in keeping with how the show is positioned, Ido within this within itself basically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we knew it was coming anyway because it's right there in like the second or third episode, third episode I think, where she just signs it. Yeah, and goes, yeah, I don't know any of these people. Because I want my husband to be on this case. Yeah. Yeah. So. But no, it's just, it, that that episode is just the Emmy reel for Darden. I mean, like, so they're going to have lead actor in a miniseries for Courtney B. Vance, lead actress for uh, Sarah Paulson, supporting actor for Sterling. Blau. Yeah, I feel, I feel like st- strategically speaking, he'll submit and supporting, even if I think that he's co-lead with Vance. Yeah. So, but strategically speaking, but the other problem is, is that I honestly don't know because he may, he'll, he'll submit there. But the thing is is that Travolta is going to submit in that category too. Mm -hmm. And they'll give it to Travolta. (laughs) Well, I think he's better in this, but it's, and I'm on the Travolta bandwagon. I'm enjoying what Travolta's doing. No, I am too. He's just getting better stuff to do. Yeah, no, he is. I just think that Emmy voters will... Go, yes. which of these names do I recognize? I maybe know Sterling K from him being on everything in the world. And maybe I've worked with him once. But I know John Travolta. Everybody likes his, John Travolta. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they may like check him off type of thing. But yeah, no. So we're looking at like support. We're looking at best actress. And like OJ Simpson. I don't know where Cuba Gooding Jr. is going to nominate himself either. Yeah. And he'll he'll nominate himself, but I mean he's such an also ran yeah. with the rest of this cast, which is such a bizarre thing to say. And then no, basically the entire supporting actor cast, not list of nominations, will be from this show. Well, and don't forget David been... Schwimmer. Exactly, Schwimmer is also killing it too. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. as much as I know, we would love to just keep Chris Farleying this last episode. We have to uh, save some of it for next week, in which I'm sure the finale is just going to be. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But what wins? I've already said what wins my week. Yeah, no, drama. It's, it was it was Manna from Heaven by far and away. Nothing else. Oh, you know, I, I, I take that back. It was totally the Rush Hour pilot. It was so good, guys. Rush Hour. Yeah, no, the no, show was, we've been asking for. Yeah, it was American Crime. It was, yeah, it was American Crime Story. A few show notes here at the end uh, of the podcast. You can find a post up for this episode at theteleverse.org, the website for the podcast. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, where we have an M4A chapter feed and MP3 feed as well without any chapters. And the episode that was magically disappearing and missing from the M4A feed has appeared again yay so yay we're all up all good in itunes um you can also find uh find us on facebook and like the page and start a conversation there and you can find both of us on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and my writing's up at uh tv.com arrowverse good wife yeah, Fun and you can stuff. find my writing over at the AV Club. Uh, right now, it's the path. So uh, that will wrap up our week in, in TV. So now we'll take a break and come back with Kelly Lawler of USA Today and the Mothership Podcast to talk about happy endings. Oh, so much so much fun argument. Yay. Yay. <laughs> well, for you two, me, I just get yelled at. Well, Preview. you know. <laughs> Spoiler alert. We'll yeah. be right back after this. Here's to the one-year anniversary of you running out on our wedding. At least we're finally using the free honeymoon suite. Yeah, well, not exactly the way I thought we'd be using it. Yeah. Oh, get some scrimp. 
Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Well, I'm glad you all could be here to commemorate the worst day of my life. No, I thought the worst day was when you didn't get pulled on stage at that Spin Doctors concert. Or when yeah. your mom substitute taught our sex ed class. Oh, uh, what about that day we made you stop wearing your visor upside down? <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought the worst day of your life was the day you got that haircut that you currently have right now. <laughs> Remember that time when I got my shirt caught? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Why am I participating in this? Who wants an oyster? Ew, no, none for me. I am extremely allergic to shellfish. Ah, uh, yes, she gets all pukey and twitchy, and then I gotta take care of her all night, which I find very <laughs> rewarding. Wait, wait, wait. Keep him away from Dave also, because he's super allergic. Yeah, super allergic. Exactly. Why didn't you get these pre-shucked? This is so much work. Penny, you're sweet, but so, so dumb. So, you want to eat your oysters as soon as they've been shucked. It's true. Now, when shucking an oyster, you really want to make sure that you get in there. Now, these oysters are from the northern part of Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick, and this week on the DVD shelf, it's time for another uh, show that I'm very excited about talking about. I'm t- excited about talking about it for several reasons. First of all, because I think the show is delightful. Second of all, because Noel, I know that uh, you aren't a huge fan of it, uh, which, what? What? Anyways, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but also because we have a fabulous guest joining us from, you can find her writing at USA Today, and you can hear her on the Mothership Podcast, uh, as well as other places, many other places online. Uh, Kelly Lawler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, what made you want to talk about Happy Endings? Um, I think this is one of the shows that I kind of discovered after it was already off the air. Um and it was one of the ones I think that I wrote off initially because I think I like heard about it through my mom and she was like, it's like friends. And I was not <laughs> really like, interested no. in that. <laughs> um, and I, so, and it also, I also came across it after um, the series finale of How I Met Your Mother completely and utterly burned me um, after a lot of time and investment. Because it, it's the it's, worst. It was bad. So bad. <laughs> and I ditched the show after like five seasons and came back for the finale and I was just like, oh God, I'm never getting over it. Um, but I think it scratches that same itch for a sitcom with really great cast chemistry, with really good breakout characters and a very particular and odd and weird sense of humor that kind of connects with a lot of people and me particularly. 
Um, and it's one of my favorites. And Noel doesn't like it, so. <laughs> Noel. Anyways, um, well, sorry. You just you got me in a How I Met Your Mother headspace, and that's just a thing that I try not to have happen ever. <laughs> so, uh, but I'll you know let uh, so so it goes. This is a very much this is a How I Met Your Mother kind of show. Yes, and very much in the mode of Friends. Uh, but for me, what it gets so right that a lot of Friends clones, I think, didn't. Um, is that it it knows its chemistry and really sustains it like almost immediately because you know talk about uh you discover the show later uh, i watched it i'm pretty sure i watched the pilot when it aired um maybe for the televerse i've been doing this a while i'm a little blurry <laughs> on exactly when that started um but definitely I, I do remember that i watched it and went oh this is terrible if a, gr- a couple you know got like if a bride ran away from the altar that group of friends would not keep hanging out. Uh, that's not how these things work. Uh, and the characters didn't seem very good. Uh, I wasn't as familiar with the cast as I am now because now I think they're all delightful and I love them. But what was interesting for me was going back and watching the pilot again for this after having watched the rest of the show and really enjoyed it is there's pieces of that show in the pilot and it's it's so interesting to see a pilot that I watched initially and really did not like. Um, oh, totally the same. I did. Yeah. The, the pilot was kind of hard to get through, and I just kind of kept going on the basis of so many people that I like and have similar taste to had said how amazing the show was. Mm-hmm. And then, but when I watch it now, like I can see like all these characters that I thought were just these really poorly written, not very well acted, char- uh, like cliches or tropes, I can see the actual character specificity in there. And I think that's when you compare it to something like Friends. I do think that's, or you, sorry, when you're, you're was it your mom compared yeah. to Friends? <laughs> you didn't compare it to your mom compared to Friends. Um, but it's that, that, that rapport between all the different characters and the way that they're able to pair off into pretty much any dynamic duo or trio and have me want to spend time with those people. Yeah, I think this is, so the cast is really, really stacked. It's got Casey Wilson, um, and Marlon Wayans Jr. and um, Adam Paley and just a, hun- a bunch of really great people. And I think it's some of the best deployment of those particular comedians. And it is like a comedian's show more than it is an actor's show, I think. Um, and they just, it's like kind of a showcase for them to kind of create these characters that are over the top a lot because it does kind of toe that line between like a, a heightened reality and like almost kind of fantasy at certain points. What? I I mean, I have a racist parrot next door that just like, <laughs> oh, that's the thing that happens all the time. Come on. <laughs> um, you, you have an out of uh, an old limo that you've attached like a hot tub to on the back and just drive around Chicago. Like you do. And uh, I mean, I think we all know we want to go to rom-com con, right? Like that oh, needs to happen. Um, yeah, and I I absolutely agree about the deployment of the of these actors. I mean, who knew who knew Alicia Cuthbert was really funny? Because I, I really didn't. She's been used wrong in everything she's ever been in. Twenty four. Yeah. Gosh, remember when she oh, was my... in the Girl Next Door? No, oh, I I did not see that one. I do <laughs> remember the Cougar and other unfortunate things. She there were things she was good on in Twenty Four, but like, yeah, I had no idea she had this in her. And and watching. Like the these actors get to really play and get to open up and have these different, uh, uh, just different types of of voices, I guess. Like to watch her just be completely daffy and like she's very Lucille Ball in this, yeah. and it totally works. And 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 th- 
for a show, and maybe Noel, this is, um, I'll throw it over to you. Maybe this is why this is not a, a Noel show, but for it's, it's incredibly heightened, but I think they do a good job of taking rather large heightened characters of different types and putting them together and somehow finding a balance. But that's me. Noel, I know you're not necessarily a fan of the show. Uh, what did you think of Happy Endings? Uh, no, it was it didn't really have anything to do with the heightened tone. Uh, it had everything more so to do with, I just think, I was what, I, I did like all of season one, half of season two, and about five episodes of season three. So I got like a nice reflection of the show. And I think I realized my main problem when um, Brad went around and ID'd who everyone was in Friends and went, oh, that's the problem. I'm tired of hangout sitcoms with 20-somethings. And I, I think that's where I ended up landing. And I agree that this is a cast with terrific amount of talent and they click remarkably well together. And they have an intense amount of chemistry but it never really made me laugh a whole lot. I smiled. I kind of had some chuckles. I enjoyed some of the wordplay. But for the most part, I just went, oh, yeah, no, I see why people like this. And now Happy Endings joins the long list of things like Friday Night Lights and Parks and Recreations, where I go, yeah, no, I get why you people like this. I don't like this very much. <laughs> Wait, I can make this even worse. Are you ready? I, I don't really like Max on Happy Endings. What? What? Yeah. It's crazy talk. Yeah. I think there's like not enough good that can be said about Adam Paley in this role. I, I think that he is um, one of the more unlikable of the six of them. Um, and they're all kind of unlikable and kind of terrible people in their own very special way. Um, but he <laughs> just his he's kind of the, the character that tends to push the show over the edge. I think about the very, the prank episode. Mm-hmm. Um and so he kind of keeps the rest of them and some of the, um, when, when they're all kind of, they all kind of vacillate between like the very heightened versions of the characters and when they end up playing the straight man to everyone else. And he almost never plays the straight man. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that they were able to do really interesting things with his um, kind of going against various stereotypes and kind of doing, doing a really interesting portrayal of, of of this kind of loser who is, but like also um, very good at a lot of random things. I appreciate the fact that they're trying to do something different from the standard sitcom gay character, which is great. Uh, but I just find Max endlessly exhausting. <laughs> and the other thing I think I feel like is that both Adam Pally and the writing for Max feel very much like they're existing in a post-Barney Stenson world in which they're trying to craft a breakout character so hard, and I just couldn't. <laughs> he does feel distinct, especially at the at the time, which is only a few years ago. But uh, he, so that was the character that, like, no, like you said, that was the breakout character for a lot of people. But um, for me, uh, what I really appreciate about him is that he he's not just like, oh, he's not this stereotypical gay guy. It's like, no, he's like a slob. Like he's he's gross. Like it's it's it's. They, it's not just, they didn't define him by being other than what stereotypes would tell you people mm-hmm. are, but by actually being very specific with it. Yeah, and I think he almost is, like, breaking, like, a lot of the stereotypes around, like, the man-child character as well at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. they're taking a lot of tropes and doing interesting things with him, and that's something I appreciate. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, characters who 
often play the straight the straight man role. Uh, I really enjoy Eliza Coop on this. I think my control freak tendencies uh, endear her to me. Uh, but but the way that they uh, let her just be very much the rational one, and then when they give her a Jane episode, she just you can see. Uh, Coop just kind of tick up to the next level and the eyes just get a little bit more crazy. She stands a little <laughs> bit taller. Um, I have a lot of fun with, with those episodes. And and the other, the character I think actually doesn't come together quite in the pilot, but uh, even upon retrospect, but comes back, comes together by the end of the first season, I think it's really interesting to maybe look at. And I, I'd love your guys' thoughts on, on this character is, is actually uh, Dave because he starts out as such like, this is a show that is How I Met Your Mother, but without Ted Mosby, which I think we can all agree right. is the best kind of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> um, but he starts out as very much that Mosby kind of figure. And then what they do, which I really appreciate, which we were talking about this last week with Vaseline and Peter Facinelli, and I've talked about it previously with Brendan Routh. I also think of it with um, Cougartown, uh, one of the leads on Cougartown. It's, often there are these guys who are cast into this... Um, normal, attractive, leading man, romantic figure, boring person role in the center of these sitcoms. And unless you find just the right person to play that, it's just not going to work. So the shows that that really are able to capture something else and, and kind of steer away from that and, and work, it's something like Happy Endings does with Dave and, and Cougar Town did over there. But um, it's when they realize, oh, okay, so this might be a really attractive person, but they're an actor. So that means they're the person who went to drama camp and the person <laughs> who probably likes to gesticulate too much with their hand is probably a giant dork on some level. So when they just kind of embrace the V-neck with Dave and the scarves and everything, I just, I think that that makes this, that character, which was the weak point for a while for me, just one of, just another of this really strong ensemble. So I, do you have any thoughts on the progression of Dave? I think we're kind of supposed to dislike Dave on a level of, oh, he thinks he's so cool. And he, he's just pitifully not. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're totally on point. Like the, the more intense the V-necks get, the more they allowed him to let loose with that character. Right. Him deciding to really lean in on his Navajo heritage is both ridiculous, but also a nice, proper way to recalibrate that character into something weirder. His, like, quote-unquote, 116th Navajo heritage. <laughs> and, and compared to a show like, oh, I don't know, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. No! Oh, <laughs> I, I don't want to remember that storyline, but oh. you're right. <laughs> you know, it's it's making the, the the right thing the butt of the joke, in which in that, in that instance is Dave. Yeah. And um, I think by, like, the you know, the third season pretty far into it. We're at this like weird point where like no one takes Dave seriously, including himself. So it's like various levels of everyone being in on the joke that is his personality. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, so it, it you can have fun with it as opposed to a character like Ted Mosby, where he takes himself so seriously it's and like everyone Lepadia. else of him that it's just like this weird kind of hateful thing and also incredibly exhausting. Oh, well, I mean, and, these characters can be exhausting. I, that's, I think that's that's fair. But they're funny while they do it. And uh, for me, I, I think that's the thing where me, and again, no, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe that's part of why you weren't responding to the parts of this as well. They can be exhausting. But for me, they're actually in, in, in exhilarating and in energizing for me. That, that really screwball uh, comedy element to the show aspect or tone to the show. And, uh, and that, that takes us really organically to, to Penny, Year of Penny. 
Amazing. Amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just talk about characters and actor, the characters fitting an actor and actors not being deployed as well. I keep waiting for really all of this cast to get other projects as interesting or as, as strong as this one. Um, or, you know, bench to have gotten the second season, but, um, Casey Wilson, other shows don't seem to understand how to use her. Yeah. I don't think she's ever really been allowed to just like have fun as opposed to be like forced into playing a character who is trying to have fun, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just, she gets to, she handles a lot of like some of the weird like meta humor and is kind of pushes, pushes that exhaustion limit, I would say, because mm -hmm. she could be really, really annoying. But I think, I think Casey Wilson always knows when to pull back. And the show, I think, knows when to, I think we talked about how they have really good balance where you can kind of um, really enjoy any kind of combination of the characters. I think they also have balance like, over the course of the seasons of not giving Penny too many A storylines and then not giving Dave too many A storylines. They, they, they push the characters back and forth enough so that you aren't, so that some of their, their tropes aren't, um, you know, pushing you over the edge as an audience member. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And um, I, what the thing that I really enjoy about Penny versus some of the other characters that like people, there are other shows trying to capture that energy again is she will fall over. Cause she, Casey Wilson's a talented physical comedian and she'll fall over, but she always will just get up and you're a penny and like, I'm back up. It's all good. You know, like she'll be bleeding out of her face and be like, don't worry about me. I got it guys. We're good. Like she's, she's just this bubble of optimism and, and, uh, and I, I just I, I enjoy optimism on, on my shows when I want when I'm deciding who like these these hangout comics are all about. Do you want to spend time with these characters? Mm -hmm. And in real life, probably this would be exhausting. But this version, this for 30 minutes. Mm. Absolutely. I want to spend time with these characters every single week. Um, do we have any thoughts on Brad? Brad is great. And I think he's one of the, the characters who kind of keeps it a little more low key. Mm -hmm. at a lot of different occasions i mean except like when, when he's, he's dancing the dentist or <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. um or you know hiding that he's not unemployed from his wife um, <laughs> um i think yeah i mean i prefer um him on uh, the show as opposed to what they do with him on new girl for instance i think this is again it's like it's it's sort of a, a an instance of just having more freedom i think yeah. Well, I mean, and I do enjoy him on, on New Girl as well, but what I think they get with with Brad, they 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 do give him some really fun storylines. And the whole I mean, I I really enjoy the comedy of of that whole storyline with his his work, but they also find they allow the show a bit more heart with him and a bit more seriousness with that relationship with with Brad and Jane. So when he loses his job and then he starts working at the like the kids playpen thing a uh, space like because of that dynamic with brad and jane there can be a bit more introspection there we also get that with jane and alex and like their family stuff that comes up every now and again but i would also point to a storyline like when we get uh, we meet jane's ex-girlfriend and we find out that she was uh, she's bisexual and she was in a like a d deeply committed relationship with this woman and brad initially is like oh this is super hot guys and then he becomes really insecure when he finds out that no his wife loved another person 
probably as deeply as is is she loves him at least at the start of their relationship at the start you know like now that's you know he's her person but he's not the only person that she's ever loved and in watching the show explore that for an episode and really just have this really positive and honest portrayal of a bisexual character they didn't need to do that they didn't need to have brad respond and react the way that they did i thought it was a really nice touch and and that's the kind of stuff that i think maybe i just remembering that stuff with brad i feel like we get that a little bit more with him and jane than we do some of the other characters yeah and i think one of the the strengths of having these characters that have a bit of you know that that make a lot of mistakes and Mm -hmm. and aren't perfectly formed is that there's like a lot of instances for learning I think that episode is really good and it becomes more about how he you know he was like initially kind of fetishizing it and then he kind of learns that he's kind of looking at how he's thought of like his relationship with her and how he's thought of her past and all this kind of stuff and it's just like and and you know he kind of was thinking that her past was about was not really existence it was just fun and it was like fun for him mm-hmm. and then she like had this other life without him. And then I think in like kind of their true style, they kind of full circle that back with like a really perfect joke when their exes get together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, I, I don't need every comedy to, to get serious for a minute, guys, for reals. I don't need, I, I enjoy scrubs. I don't need it to always be scrubs or mash, but every now and again on how, and heavy innings usually sticks with the comedy, but every now and again, they do uh, give their characters a little more dimension. And, uh, and th- that makes me appreciate the general tone of the show all the more. Uh, are there any specific uh, other characters, like recurring characters we want to talk about? Are there any uh, particular episodes that come to mind as favorites? Um, I've always been partial to um, The Kirkovich Way, which is a season two mm-hmm. episode. And I think it's because of my undying love for Jane and potentially my identification with her. Um, <laughs> that episode is, is, is very much a showcase for her. It's like right after Alex and Dave sleep together again for the first time since their breakup. Uh, before they get back together properly. And um, instead of confronting the problem, um, Alex allows Jane to convince her that they should try to memento style, you know, make it seem like the incident never happened and use Brad (laughs) as as her alibi. And Jane does insane things like, you know, planting a corn kernel in his sleeping mouth so that she could convince him that he's losing his memory and like take him to get an MRI. And I think it was, that's as far as, that, that's one of the episodes that goes literally as far as you can go with her, with Jane. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes, um, you know, it, it adds some some conflict into that relationship, which is always so strong. And so, you know, conflict without like divorce conflict is something mm-hmm. they're good at. They're good at keeping a married relationship going on this show and keeping it interesting without it being like, oh, they're going to break up all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just it, it kind of it kind of points to the fact that one of the they're you know we, we talked I talked earlier about like Max being kind of like a man child but they're all kind of really childish all the time mm-hmm. and just like pretending something that's like gonna have a major impact on the rest of your life didn't happen is like <laughs> is is a very, very very important example of that absolutely and I would also I mean I agree I one of the strengths of the show for me is. I appreciate shows where married couples seem to actually like each other, mm-hmm. which, you know, is less of them than it should be. Uh, the percentage is not what it should be. Though I guess if you consider statistically 50% of marriages end in divorce in America, 
maybe that's why so many married couples seem to hate each other on TV. But <laughs> but but that that dynamic is really strong, and no, I absolutely agree. Uh, Noel, is there like I know this was not not your show, but is there an episode that stood out to you that was more effective? Um, well, I was flipping through it, and I realized that one of the things, and we we haven't mentioned this, but I'm sure everyone who's listening probably knows, is that even on Hulu, these episodes are aired out of order. Wait, what? <laughs> Which is really frustrating. Yes. <laughs> They're organized out of order. I'm just like, why would you do this? Um, because I watched so much all at once, it was very much of a piece. I think the only thing I really noticed, um, especially within the episodes that I like picked and watched, I basically just went, oh, there's Gina Rodriguez. Oh, and there's Justin Baldoni. The episode that I think stood out to me the most was Yes and Witch, which is when uh, Dana comes to visit, I think, for the first time to sing at a boat show. And there's the Neckercizer as well, which was just a really ridiculous joke. Um, but I actually really enjoyed that episode. I think it, like, gelled really nicely for me. Um, maybe one uh, Joe Russo directed that episode. And the Russos, for those who aren't aware, directed actually quite a few of these episodes as well, uh, which was great. Um, but that episode really stuck out to me. Um, most of the episodes I really liked came from season two. Even like when we're talking about like the show getting vaguely meta and that sort of thing. Like uh, Spooky Endings is directed by Fred Savage and then he shows up in the episode as Fred Savage. Because that guy can get anyone for a great date, including Fred Savage, to provide running commentary on The Princess Bride. That is pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, I think I liked season two quite a bit, um, more than anything in season one, but like we discussed, the show really just didn't quite figure itself out until towards the end of season one, and then by season two, they were pretty much running with what they wanted to be, I think. Uh, I, I love that Baby Max costume from spooky endings it's like the best <laughs> it's so good it's like the best tv ca character co uh, costume in quite a while it's like so specific and they totally commit to it for the rest of the episode and it's it's such like a, a situation that could only happen in this weird sitcom place and then it creates this very interesting kind of tension it's it's the new uh what the two two person horse costume but oh, like yeah but now but yeah, well, because usually it's like, there's just like a sight gag of, oh, look, we had a costume department and makeup department, so they have a totally awesome Halloween costume, but it doesn't actually affect the storyline or the plot. So uh, instead they build the episode around that and it works so well. Um, for me, uh, <laughs> an episode uh, or, or a moment that I always think of, because uh, yeah, you guys have named some of my favorite episodes, uh, but I, I just love so much the i think it's a recurring bit with jane and her charts of how all of her friends can be improved uh so she just pulls it down and she's got these like oh man that's ruthless and hilarious and i kind of love jane for that and i also want to throw some love to a couple of the supporting characters uh derek is drama see he's fantastic that's steven garino and um i also uh can we get some love for uh james walk as just you know max's dreamboat anybody could get max to clean up a little bit is james walk and and when they break up it's so sad yeah this is such a great showcase for him i mean you know if, if we could have one star yeah if we can't have <laughs> tears tears all like first noel doesn't like parks and rec and uh and uh friday night lights which i just 
I'm just glad that I did. A, I've already done a, a Friday Night Light shelf because I would that would have hurt me. That would have hurt me a lot <laughs> to discover that like as a surprise um, on a DVD shelf for Friday Night Lights. But but now uh, Tears for Lone Star with the you know which in, in like the Fringe alt universe or Earth Two or something. Lone Star got five seasons and a, a big movie and it was amazing. So, uh, but yes, I, I'll take I'll take James Wolk here. Way to underrate his work in the crazy ones, Kate. Yeah, he all very good over there as well. But I do, I really enjoyed him here. Um, do you have any other final thoughts, Kelly? Or other characters you wanted to mention? I just, I, one of my favorite sort of like recurring, I guess you could call it a recurring bit, is like I, I just appreciate meta humor a lot. And so I think when whatever shows reference the fact that they are shows, I really enjoy it. <laughs> and um, and I think there's a, there's there's one instance where. Um, Penny talks about how she's not saying amazing as much anymore. Well, she's, she's someone, a guy breaks up with her and he mentions that as one of the reasons he broke up with her because she says that a lot. And then, and then she, go, and then she goes, and I haven't even hardly said that at all this season. And then Max is like, this, you mean this winter? And she's like, yeah, it's more of a summer word. And I'm just, it's, <laughs> it's just like a fun little gag there. And like, there's one later when Jane and Alex suddenly have a third sister. Mm-hmm. And they, and Alex they, Cabot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, and, and they, and they say, something about how it's so weird that we've known each other for five years or whatever and you guys never talk about your third sister like how how strange it's almost like we're it, I'm rewriting everything I know about you or something like that and <laughs> it's, it's uh, I, I appreciate that kind of humor and I appreciate that that means that they could have an episode in the third season near the very end with a surprise third sister and have it work I think another nice example of kind of the meta stuff that you were going for is just the fact that I we have reached the point where Megan Mullally can show up on other sitcoms and play like a mom real quick and just come in and out and then was dating Michael McKean who was playing um, Dave's dad, which is a great little bit of casting as well. Um, so I was mostly there for like the guest casting because they, they had really great guest casting. I mean, Ken, Ken Marino showed up for an episode as a stalker therapist, which isn't creepy at all. Yeah, um, but we are at our time, so uh, we do need to say uh, to, to wrap things up now here. So, uh, Kelly, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, you can find uh, things that I write on life.usatoday.com, and you can find me on Twitter at klawls, uh, K-L-A-W-L-S, and um, my own podcast, which talks about shows that are a little nerdier than Happy Endings, um, The Mothership on iTunes and your podcast on Fridays. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on and thank everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.